starting a new series this morning, which we're calling People of Promise. And we're going to answer this question, what in the world is God doing? Or what on earth is God doing? Now, we're not asking that question out of frustration, because we don't know what he's doing. But we're going to answer that question more out of a sure hope that's an anchor for our soul because God in his word has revealed to us what he's doing. This series was born in 1985. It's been percolating in my heart ever since. And to be honest with you, if I waited until I was fully ready for it, you'd never hear this series. Even up to the last number of weeks, God has keeps on refining and tuning and sharpening uh, my thinking, and I know that there's more to go, but if I wait until it's done, like I said, we'll never get to the series. Because when you try to preach the whole Bible, and this morning my goal is to preach the whole Bible in one message, obviously, you know, that's a lot of material. <laughs> uh, that's a big project. But we know that this is, the, by the way, the Bible is God's word, and God is revealing to us in this book like no other book, that's why it's called the Holy Bible, exactly what he's doing here on earth. Well, the series was born when I walked into a class in 1985, my last year of seminary, and it was called Biblical Covenants. I gotta be honest, I had no idea what a covenant was, and many of you may be here today and say, what in the world is a covenant? I was at the same place. Matter of fact, I had been through three years of Moody, four and a half years of Dallas Seminary, and to be honest with you, I had learned literally hundreds upon thousands of verses and truths from the Bible. But I had no idea how they fit together. It just seemed like a whole bunch of pieces, like a, like a puzzle. You got all these pieces there, and where do they go together, and how do they fit uh, but by the time I got done with that class, it was like, you know, it's just like everything was falling in place as I was sitting there, as God was putting all the pieces in place. And, and the picture became clear to me of what God is doing in this world. And when I left that class, I could see the structure of what God is doing and the picture of what he's doing in this world. And that's my hope for you as well. You know, many of you maybe been through, walked through the Bible before. I was, I was there, actually did it here at Moraine many years ago, and they'll take the key events of the story Bible, and they'll teach you hand signals to do it, and we went through it, and it's a lot of fun, and it's a great weekend, and you learn a lot of the different stories, but you know what? I still left there not knowing why those stories existed, nor how they were connected. I just knew what the main stories of the Bible were. And my hope for you is by the end of this series is that I can help you understand these individual key events throughout the scripture, how they tie together in a unit to form the story of the Bible and why these stories had to happen. You know, the best way I can illustrate this is like when I go into a big city, I, I had to go down to um, near Austin, Texas recently to do a funeral. 
And I remember before going because uh, Kim's sister lived in Georgetown, just north of Austin. And I'd never been down there before. And so when I look at the map, the first thing I look at is here's Georgetown, here's the airport, and what is the major thoroughfares that I need to take to get there? And what other thoroughfare do I have to get off of main interstate to get onto another interstate? And then what exit, the, uh, you know, there's usually some main highway going through, an exit that you get on, and then you take it to another highway, which eventually you go to a, a lesser street, and then you finally get to the side street to where you're going and staying. And I gotta be honest with you, for me, up until that point when I took this class, the Bible looked like a bunch of side streets to me. I was in a major city, and all I knew was a bunch of side streets, and I had no idea how to get and navigate around these truths, these Bible verses that I knew. But when I got done, and I'm hoping when we get done with this series, you're gonna understand what are the interstates I need to take from Genesis 1 all the way to the end of Revelation 22? What are the main highways? Uh, what are the side streets? What are the exact addresses, and how do they fit in the big story together? So as you see, this is a big task we're trying to do. Um, so I've been in prayer. You can pray for me. You can pray for you. I'm just praying that uh, God will do like he did with the men on the road to Emmaus as Jesus was speaking. God opened their minds to understand. I've always felt this and prayed this. You know, if Jesus needed to be anointed, we learned in Luke 3, he was anointed when he preached in the synagogue. How much more doesn't Pat Peglo need the Holy Spirit's equipping? And if Jesus, the resurrected Christ, walking on the road to Emmaus was walking with these men and explaining the Bible and where it talked about him, and they didn't understand it until God opened their minds. So how much more don't you and I need the Spirit of God this morning and in this series to be at work in us doing something supernatural to open up our eyes, to open up our minds to understand, our eyes to see, our ears to hear the voice of God, and our hearts to respond. So I want to start with prayer. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for me, that this will be a God experience for us, and that when we get done, we understand better what God is doing in this world, and it truly will become an anchor for our souls that gives us great hope. So Father, I wanna pray now. Uh, Lord, I, I just, I wanna thank you that you've given us your word to reveal what you're doing in this world and how you want us to respond. And Lord, I just come to you as we take on this big task of trying to Put your holy book on the lower shelf where we can all grab it and understand it better. Father, I just want to pray that your Holy Spirit would anoint me because, Lord, it's a task bigger than I'm able to do. But God, I thank you that you delight in using weak vessels to display your glory and power. And I want to offer myself as that weak vessel before you this morning Lord, that one that's incomplete, that's still putting the pieces of the puzzle together. Lord, I would just want to pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, equip me 
in a way that has no explanation but God, much like the boy who brought the fish in the loaves, when you took it, you multiplied it, and God, there were basketfuls left over. And I want to pray for my brothers and sisters here this morning, those listening online this morning, those that will be listening this week. God, I pray for them that you would do what you did for the men on the road to Emmaus. Would you open the minds to understand this big picture of what you're doing in your word, Lord? And God, I pray that above all, it would drive us to Jesus. We would be thrilled by him and we would bow in worship before him. So Father, I just commit this morning, I commit this series to you. And God, like I said, I'm just asking to do things that only God can do in Jesus' name, amen. We're calling this series the uh, People of Promise because we are people of promise. Covenants are the means by which God reveals the promises which he's gonna work out in this world. And a covenant, and we're going to learn more about this in a few weeks, is the most serious and solemn means of committing yourself to something. And Jesus has committed, or I should say God, has bound himself to the promises that are revealed in the covenants. And as we study the different stories and the different covenants, we're going to begin to see the big promises of God that drive what he's doing in this world that drive this book. I am, my hope is this. The better we understand God's promises, not only the better we'll understand the Bible, but the better we'll understand the world we're living in, the better we'll understand the history of what's going on in the world, the better we'll understand what's yet to come in this world, and the better we'll understand our own story and our place today in the middle of it. So that's what I'm hoping I'll get out of this series. And I'm sorry for the hesitation. I realize as I'm looking at my notes, I probably need new glasses. <laughs> I'm going, what are right there? <laughs> Had to remind myself where I was going with that. So um, that, that's my hope. Many people shy away from the Old Testament because they just feel they don't understand. You know, they love the stories and they love the lessons they learn out of it, but often they feel lost in it and not sure how to apply it. My hope is by the time we get done with this series, you're going to have confidence to open up the Old Testament you're going to understand the structure of this book and where it's going, and you're going to understand that the, that the Old Testament is the foundation to the New Testament and the story of Jesus, both of why he came and why he's going to come again. But to understand that properly, we need to understand the Old Testament. And we're hoping that during this series we'll give you what you need. And here's an exciting piece when we do this series is you're going to understand prophecy so much better. I want to, I want to think of it this way. It's, you know, it's, it's a big picture of what God is going to be doing in the future. Now, you know how puzzles work. They take that big picture and they cut it into pieces. Got a program 
for our grandkids where I can take a picture and then you can turn it into a puzzle with how many pieces you want. So I took a picture of their grandma, Grandma Kim. And then, you know, depending on the age of the child, depends on how many pieces, I'll break that picture up so that they get the pictures the same. You follow me? But there's a different number of pieces. Well, when COVID started, Kim and I got real ambitious. We were going to do the good couple thing, and we were going to get a puzzle. We said, we're going to be here for a while. Let's get a thousand-piece puzzle. Was that ever a mistake? That's not the place to start. We had that thing on the dining room table probably for two months, and we worked on it at different times, and by God's grace, out of those thousand pieces, we maybe got about 75 pieces done. And we finally said, that's it, I quit. Well, here's the reality. Many people do the same with prophecy. You say this big picture, the thousands, hundreds of different verses about prophecy. Some people say that up to one third of the Bible is prophecy. And so here I am with all these pieces and trying to put it together and figure it out and we're lost. Well, here's the good news. You're going to understand by the time we get done with the series that prophecy is a 20-piece puzzle. That we can put together much easier because prophecy is just God's fulfillment of his covenant promises that he made back here and how he's going to work it out in the future. And now when I understand those covenants and the promises and the covenants, now I understand those 20 big pieces that take the puzzle and put it together for me much easier. So I'm excited about this series. I don't know if you can pick it up. It's a passion of mine. Um, it has done so much for my life to understand what God is doing is revealed in his word. I'm hoping the same for you. Now, I knew the series was coming. I've gone through this truth, these truths with some other uh, men in greater detail on different occasions. And so uh, we asked a few of them this summer, we went through it to kind of test drive. Let's make sure we're connecting and understanding. So we asked a few of them, why don't you share the value of this series for you? So take a look at the screen and hear what they had to say. This study has impacted my walk uh, in just helping me better understand uh, the history of the Bible. Uh, I've been able to deepen my faith uh, with the Lord through understanding him better uh, and truly just gaining that knowledge that uh, we're being called to have with him. Characters only make sense in the context of the whole story. And I think, you know, with, with so many people wondering about the meaning of life and wondering about where they fit into this story, um, what this series really gives you is that full understanding of what God's story is. And once we understand that story, it helps us to understand who we are and how we fit into it. So it's really kind of a practical thing that you learn about how you can live your life as part of this grander picture. This study has impacted my walk and the way I read the Bible because it ties all of the random verses together from the prophecies in the Old Testament to the New Testament, and it puts it all together in one big picture that is God's story. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time you were awed by God? that there was something about him, something about his attributes and characteristics that just blew your mind and you just turned your eyes toward heaven and you got so excited because 
you realize how close he was coming to you and how well he wanted to know you. Well, in this series that we're about to go through, you're about to experience God in a new and living way, in a way in which you've never experienced him before. So come with an eager heart, come with an eager will, come with an eager determination to, to delve into the realm of God that will just fill you up with awe and wonder for now and forevermore. This study is relevant for all different types of believers, whether you're a long-term believer or a newer believer, uh, because of it just proving God's faithfulness. Um, a reminder for those that have known the Lord for a long time that He is still faithful and has always been faithful to them and helping teach uh, younger believers uh, that the Lord will always be there for you uh, and that you can put your trust in Him. We hope that as a result of this series, you will gain a greater confidence in understanding God's Word, the promises within it, and applying those truths to your daily lives. So, let's dive in. Thank you, brothers. Man, I love those guys. We, uh, we had some other guys. Now, you need to know what we'll be sharing in 35, 40 minutes, if I can be faithful to my time. <laughs> uh, we, we spent two hours each time we met together discussing and wrestling with, and then eating pizza and hanging out together. Uh, but uh, my biggest hope, as some of the brothers shared, and as they shared me personally, the biggest takeaway is they had a new view of God. If that can be accomplished, man, that's awesome. I want to say a new view of God, not a different view, just a fuller view of who God is and seeing him in a much clearer way and his faithfulness to his promises and his faithfulness to us. So let's jump in. Let's jump in. We're talking about the story of the Bible, the story of God. Well, what's the nature of a story? Let's start there. We have a, a PowerPoint, hopefully to help you understand that. And a story, I don't know if you guys can do this. Could you make it on the whole screen for me? It's just in a corner, and it's hard for me to see. If you guys are able to do that up there, that would be helpful. But uh, So I'm going to turn this way where I can see it. A story always starts with a setting. You know, that's kind of the once upon a time. You're introduced to where the story's taking place, who the characters are, the circumstances of what happens in the story. Then there's some incident that happens. Something happens in the story that, that causes you to have to resolve it because some new issue has come on the table in this beautiful setting. The plot is a series of events that is used to try to explain how they're gonna resolve this incident that needs some kind of resolution. And then what happens there is the climax. The climax is that key event or that key person that comes along that brings resolution to that incident that happened earlier that now is gonna happen. And then you see the outcome of that story as it is kind of the, the tension is kind of declining and removing down and then we end up with a resolution, uh, the new beginning, the new normal, uh, they live happily ever after kind of thing. Now those of you who watch Hallmark, I'm one of those guys, I do it out of obedience to Ephesians 5 where it says, husbands, lay down your lives for your wives. 
And so maybe I do that because I love you. I'd rather be watching a boxing match or a football game, but you know, I, I, I say, Let, let's do this thing. You know the Hallmark story. It starts with this once upon a time. Here's this woman who, who's going out with this businessman who's good looking, well-dressed, has a lot of money, but is always busy and doesn't give her the proper attention. And then an incident happens. That's, that's the once upon a time. The incident happens, what happens? She usually gets a letter or a call. Maybe it's a high school reunion. Maybe it's an aunt who died and left her a piece of property. And so she's got to leave town to go someplace to uh, resolve that issue. And so while she's there, what does she do? She always meets a new guy. And the new guy happens to be, he's not as wealthy, he's not always uh, dressed to the nines, but he's a guy that gives her his full attention. And now she's got a conflict that's going on and she's trying to resolve that. And because now, whoa, I'm committed to this guy at home. Matter of fact, we're engaged. And now here's this guy in. And so you see these series of events. And then normally what happens near the climax is the guy shows up surprisingly to visit her in the town and she had no idea he was coming. And now all of a sudden, here's the conflict because now he's there and, and, and here's this other guy and now she's really forced to a place where she needs to make a decision. And so, you know, as, as they meet, it becomes very obvious to her that, you know, she sees this guy again and says, man, this, this isn't gonna work. And she breaks it off with this guy and she starts this new relationship where now they got this thing, all the pressure of the incident has been resolved. They're, they're declining, you know, we're in the last five minutes. Now you know you're in the last minute or two when they kiss because they always save that for the last minute or two. And so at that point, we know we're moving to the new resolution as you usually see a sign with a year later and you're, you'll find yourself at a wedding or maybe five years later and you see a bunch of kids running around and stuff like that. Isn't that pretty much a Hallmark movie? Yeah. I shouldn't tell you this, but you have no idea how many sermons I've worked on while my wife is watching Hallmark. <laughs> I'm being the good husband, but I'm over here going this, you know, doing this kind of thing. But uh, so anyhow, that's the typical Hallmark story. It follows the storyline. Stories happen. But guess what? The Bible story happens the same way. We got an image here, and I want to thank Joel Brassfield for this because Joel really did the work on this. Joel is the guy I go to. Um, Joel learned about these things a number of years ago himself, and, and he has been so intrigued. He's just been studying it for years, and Joel's the guy. Him and I get all excited about things. Others look at us going, what are you guys, what are you so excited about? And so we, we get excited about these things. He helped develop this. It all starts in paradise, Genesis 1 and 2. But then something happened, the incident Oh, by the way, I'm going to give this to you in a card next week. Some of you, a picture's good. I'm going to give you this on a, a little handout next week you can put in your Bible to keep. But uh, the fall happened. Sin came in. But at the same time during that fall, God made a promise about a seed. And then we see the plot unfolding as God made some covenants with Abraham, David, and with Israel. 
And I call those the I wills because the key words in covenants is what is what I'm going to do. It's God saying, this is what I'm going to do. I will do this, and I will do that, and I'll do this. And as you read through the covenants, you keep on seeing those words come up. And the foundational covenant is the Abrahamic covenant where he says, I'm going to give you, a, a, I should start with a seed in the middle. I'm going to give you a people, a nation, a bunch of people from your family line, and I'm going to give them a land to live on forever, and I'm going to bless them in the land. And as we read through the story, we see this driving the story of the Old Testament, and God says, I'm going to be your God. And we see this developed, the land aspect is developed in the Deuteronomic covenant, the seed aspect is developed in the covenant made with David, and then the new covenant develops the blessing. And so we see this thing going on, and guess what all these covenants point to? Jesus. Who's the climax to the story? Who's the one that resolves the problem? It's Jesus. As Jesus comes, and he, you know, he lives this perfect life. He goes to the cross where not only he dealt with our sin, but he dealt with Satan. And the power of Satan was broken. And now we see the de-escalation in this period of time, which we call the church, uh, which has believing Israel and uh, Gentiles. And that that period's going to end when Jesus comes back and calls his church out of the world, the rapture. And then there's going to be this tribulation that's going to last for seven years. And finally, Jesus will return to earth, set up a kingdom called the millennial kingdom uh, for a thousand years right here on earth. And then we move in to the final resolution of the story, paradise restored, which goes on forever. And I want you to note something from the beginning and start here of the story Look at, uh, turn to your Bibles to Genesis 1 and 2. I'm, I'm, let me show you something, by the way, real quick. Paradise. Genesis 1 and 2 tell us the story. The end of the story is paradise restored. Revelation 21 and 22 tell us the story. So we have two Bibles that are bookends to the story of the Bible in Genesis 1 and 2 and Genesis, or I'm sorry, Revelation 21 and 22, where we see this. In chapter 3, the fall, sin entered into the world. And Satan became prominent. He became the god of this world. There was a curse that was placed on mankind, and death uh, came to man. But in the new paradise, in Revelation 21 and 22, guess what? No sin, no Satan, no curse, no death. Just like it was in paradise. Satan wasn't there, sin wasn't there, death wasn't there, the curse wasn't there. We see the same thing in the end. But what happens in Genesis chapter 3 through Revelation 20? So let me remind you, as you read this book, guess what? On every page between Genesis 3 and Revelation 20, it's the story that has been tainted by sin and Satan's presence 
and death and the curse. And so as we look at this story, we start to learn a lot about it just by looking at the beginning and the end of the story. Uh, turn to Genesis 1.1. Let, let me, let's look at this real quick. Obviously, in a, as we try to preach the whole Bible, we're not going to go to every verse this morning that we use, but we are going to sh- share a few. Genesis 1.1, the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now keep a finger here and go all the way to Revelation 21. This is the resolution. This is, you know, the first two chapters, no sin, no Satan, no curse, no death. The last two the same way. Look at how that chapter starts in Revelation 21. Verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. Starts with God creating the heavens and the earth. The resolution starts with God creating a new heaven and a new earth. Now, Turn to Genesis, back to Genesis chapter 3 now, because remember we say starting in chapter 3, it's the story of the fall, and we um, first are introduced to Satan and sin. Look at verse 15. (coughs) Kim, I don't know why, would you give me the water, baby? My my throat's going crazy on me here. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Thank you. And now this is after the fall, and there's a curse that's put on Satan. And we'll look at this next week a lot closer. But in verse 15, look at what he says. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between Satan and Eve, and between your seed, Satan, and her seed. He, now he's speaking to one specific seed that happens to be Jesus, he He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. The battle between Jesus and Satan. Now we know that Jesus was bruised on the heel at the cross, but he's going to crush Satan's head at the end because if you go back to the end of the story in Revelation chapter 20, turn back there for a second. In verse 10, remember between chapter 3 of Genesis to Revelation. We have this battle between Jesus and Satan, and we have, uh, you know, sin, death, the curse, all these things. Well, listen to what he says here in verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Brothers and sisters, that's the big picture story of the Bible. Starts with paradise, ends with paradise. And in the middle, we see the curse impacting the story. We see Satan impacting the story. We see sin impacting the story. We see death impacting the story. Now, if I was to try to summarize the Bible in three key words, this is what I would use. Seed covenant, 
and Jesus. The seed is the people. It's a line of people. It's a family line of people. And again, we're going to deal with this next week. And we'll see ultimately that not only there's this corporate group of people, but there's a specific person, and that's Jesus. So it's a story about the seed. God's people, and particularly Jesus. It's a story about covenants. And the reason I say that is because what we see here is that God has bound himself to do certain things for his people by means of covenants. The most serious and solemn means which says God is absolutely going to do it because he's bound himself to do these promises. And as we read the story, we see the fulfillment of those promises coming out that God bound himself to in covenants. And finally, Jesus. He's the main character. He's the hero of the story. Uh, You know, he is the one that is at the center whom all these covenant promises are speaking about because he's the one that fulfills them and brings them about. So let me, I'm going to read a few things to you now because there's just too much to remember, too detailed. But... uh, Like I said, you learn a lot by looking at the start of the story and the end of the story. Let let me build it a little bit more than I just did. Because what we see at the start of the story, God creates a perfect heaven and earth as well as mankind, male and female, where he dwells with them in paradise. They are to reign over all his creation, we learn in Genesis. There's peace, there's shalom between God and man. And peace within man himself. He's at peace with himself. And there's peace between man and woman. And there's peace with mankind and the earth. And there's no sin, there's no Satan, there's no curse, and there's no death. Now listen to what it's going to be like in the resolution of the story in Revelation 21. The end of the story. God creates a perfect new heaven and earth where he dwells with man. And man reigns forever and ever over his new creation. There will be peace and shalom between God and man, peace within man himself, peace between man and woman, and peace with mankind in the new earth, and in the paradise there'll be no sin, no Satan, no curse, no death. You see the story (laughs) and what's going on here? My way to try to summarize it, I'm going to give it to you three ways. The first one, I could never remember that, and I know that, but that's my attempt to try to be accurate to the story. The first way is this. Again, we have them up here on PowerPoints, and it says this. It's God glorifying himself through Jesus, the seed, by restoring his original plan for mankind and the earth where God himself reigns forever as king over a people who love him with all their heart, their soul, their mind, and their strength. Remember what Jesus said, the lawyer testament, how, how do you summarize, you know? What, what, what's the heart? He, he summarized the whole testament. He did us a favor. What's this book about? It's teaching us how to love God with all that we are. 
And God is about restoring a people who love him with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength, where he'll reign forever over them as king. So to simplify the story, as many people call it, it's God's redemption of man through Jesus Christ. That's what this story is about. And then in my own words, help of my good brother Joel, we're calling it Paradise Restored. That's the story of God. That's the story of the Bible. That's what's going on as we seek to understand this book. So what I want to do now is we kind of take in the spaceship view. You know, as the spaceship looks at the earth, I'm told they fly about 250 miles above the earth. You know, they see the major continents and, you know, the, the oceans and the things like this. You get in an airplane, about 30,000 feet to 40,000 feet, anywhere from six to seven miles above, you start to see some of the rivers and you see the landscape in a, in a different way. So I want to take us a little bit lower and I want you just to listen to the story. Um, as you know, we put our notes up, the ones that I preach from every week online, so I'm gonna encourage you to download these notes. They will include many verses that talk about what I'm gonna refer to, so you can look at the verses yourself and, and see it for yourself from God's word. Um, so I just encourage, just listen this morning. We'll go into greater depth in weeks to come, but just get the big feel of the story. You need to understand, this is decades of story, a study that we're trying to summarize into just a, a few paragraphs. And again, I, I have to thank Joel Brasfield. Joel, I don't know where you're sitting today, but uh, the brother has worked, as iron sharpens iron, he's really helped me work on this a lot. So, so just listen up. We're gonna start with a setting. We'll try to put the images up on the screen again one at a time for you as you see that. We're gonna start with a setting. The setting was paradise. God dwelling with man as man reigns over all of God's creation. There's perfect harmony and peace and shalom and there's no sin, there's no Satan, there's no curse, and there's no death. We see that in Genesis 1 and 2. Then we come to Genesis 3, and something happens. There's an incident, there's a conflict that takes place. And during this time, Satan deceived the woman, and she and Adam fell together into sin. We call that the fall. As a result, Sin entered into the world. Man died spiritually and became separated from God. God put a curse upon Satan, upon the woman, upon man, and upon the world, and Satan became the God of this world. There would be hostility between thy seed, the ungodly line, and her seed, the godly line, and there would also be hostility between Jesus, the seed, and Satan until the seed, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus comes and crushes Satan. And so this is, this is the conflict and the promise 
that become the incident that drives the plot as they seek to resolve this problem that happened in Genesis chapter 3. Now here's the plot. This is how it unfolds. The I wills of God. Of God telling um, man in particular, telling Abraham and Israel and, and David, and if you will, I'm going to even say Jesus, and we'll explain that weeks to come, what he's going to do. So again, we see man struggling, chapter 3, all the way to the resolution with sin, death, and the curse. And now here's God's way of resolving this problem. God develops the godly line or the seed of the woman through Abel, through Seth, through Noah and Shem, all the way down to Abraham. And the ungodly line through Cain, Ham, and Japheth, from whom come the nations that were in hostility or constant conflict with Israel throughout the Old Testament. But then God made a covenant with Abraham, where he promised Abraham a land, a seed, that is a nation of people from his line and a blessing and that God would be the God of his people. The seed, which we first heard about in Genesis 3, is now further defined. First of all, it was applied to Eve's godly offspring, but now it's narrowed down to being from the line of Abraham and that it would be both a collective people, Israel, and a specific person, Jesus, through whom all the nations of the world would be blessed. Then God gave Israel the Mosaic Covenant. That's not up here because the Mosaic Covenant is not one of the forever covenants. These others are, but the Mosaic Covenant was given to regulate Israel's relationship with God until the seed until Jesus comes. Basically, it said, if you obey me, God said, if you obey me, I'm going to bless you. But Israel, if you disobey me, I'm going to curse you. I'm going to discipline you. And because of Israel's continued disobedience to the Mosaic law, the Old Testament story is about Israel repeatedly being disciplined by God because of their disobedience and repenting. But ultimately, they're deported out of their own land, which is the ultimate discipline which the Mosaic law said, if you won't repent, ultimately, I'm gonna send you away to another nation to be under their rule. Now, the prophets in the Old Testament, we're gonna see this, I can't wait to teach the Mosaic Covenant because the Mosaic Covenant becomes the basis of the entire prophets. Because when you study the prophets, what are they doing? They're using the Mosaic Covenant to point out Israel's sin and calling them to repentance so they can be restored to the blessings that God promised them. And so the prophets are all built that way. You see them pointing out sin, calling them to repentance, and telling them about the blessings that God's going to bring in their life if they do. Well, guess where those blessings come from? They're all the way back in the covenant, the promises that God originally made to them. Then there's the Deuteronomic covenant. 
they call it the land covenant. This is a covenant where God guarantees to Israel that he will regather them back to the land from all the nations where he scattered them, where he will bring about repentance. And we're gonna see God causes repentance, not man. God's gonna bring Israel to repentance. God's gonna regenerate them and he's gonna restore them to their land in blessing. And then God makes a covenant with David where he promises that the seed will come from David's line and he'll be a forever king who reigns and rules forever over a forever kingdom over God's people. Now, we see in the story that many of those kings failed who came from the line of David as the nation awaits this promised king, this Messiah, this Christ, who's gonna come and reign over them, the seed of David. And then God gave Israel a new covenant where he promises to forgive them, to give them a brand new heart, to place his spirit in them and to cause them to walk in obedience. Then God will bless them in the land as he covenanted with them with the Davidic king ruling over them and all the world forever. So these are the promises, and this is what shapes the hope of Israel. In fact, by the way, this is what shapes Christmas. <laughs> As they were looking forward to the coming of this king, and it also shapes the second coming of Christ that we're looking forward to. And so this story and these covenants and these promises that God made drive the story of what's going on in the Bible. And then the climax comes, where Jesus, in Matthew 1, 1, we'll go, why in the world I gotta read these genealogies? Because Matthew 1, 1 starts off the New Testament by telling us that Jesus was the seed. He was the Christ. I should say he is. <laughs> he is the seed, he is the Christ, he is the Messiah who came, how does the New Testament start? Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Why does he say that? Because he's showing that Jesus is the seed who comes from Abraham, who's gonna come and bless all the nations of the world, and he's the seed that came from David, who's gonna be a king forever. And so that's how the New Testament starts for us. And they give us a genealogy to follow it to prove that Jesus does come from those lines. Jesus proclaims he is the seed of David. He is the king. He is the Messiah and the Christ. And he proves it by performing miracles that the Christ will perform in the new kingdom that is yet to come. He lives a perfect, sinless life. And he dies in our place to pay for our sins. We're going to learn about that. We're going, why did Jesus have, not just the fact, you know why Jesus had to die? Because the penalty of breaking a covenant is death. And because man broke the covenant with God, death is the penalty for breaking a covenant. But God's love for us was that he sent Jesus in our place to pay the penalty of breaking that. And then he was raised from the dead to give us a brand new life 
and eternal righteous life. And he ascended back to heaven where he's seated at the right hand of the Father and he's going to stay there until he comes back to fulfill all the promises of the Old Testament covenants of the promises of the Old Testament prophets that were made regarding this period of restoration that is yet to come. So the outcome of this, so this is why Jesus came and ascended back to heaven and he's waiting there until, and we're gonna see this much closer, so bear with me and stick with me, we'll see this in the series. Then the church was born. Now we need to understand in this period, sin, Satan, death, and the curse are still present in the earth. So it hasn't been ultimately resolved, but the power of sin, death, the curse, and Satan have been broken. The back of their power has been broken. Yes, they still harass us. They still give us trouble, but boy, we got a great hope, even that goes beyond the grave because of Jesus. And because we are in Christ who's seated at the right hand of the Father, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that's named, not only in this age, but in the one to come, guess what? We have victory over Satan. God has broken the power of Satan, but he'll ultimately crush his head. So the church is born that is made up of all the nations, both Jews and Gentiles who believe in Jesus. Their sins are forgiven. They receive the new heart. They get the Holy Spirit to live inside of them. And they are now God's people through whom his purposes are carried out on earth. We're called the body of Christ. And believers are in Christ, the seed. Therefore, they are Abraham's seed who partake in the covenants of promise made to Israel. The spiritual blessings now and material blessings later when Jesus returns. And that's based on the fact that we have the same kind of faith that Abraham had, and because we are in Christ and belong to him, to whom the promises were also spoken, not just to Abraham. Then believers will be raptured. They're going to be taken out of this world at the end of this church period, and God disciplines unbelieving Israel and the nations that don't believe in him for a seven-year period. The Bible calls this Jacob's trouble or the tribulation. And at the end of that seven years, Satan, by his demons, gathered together all the nations of the world. It's interesting when we read about it in the Old Testament, we see it from the earthly view. When you read about it in Revelation, we see it from the heavenly view that we see it's really a war, as he says in Revelation, against the Lamb and against his saints. And so Satan's gathering all the nations of the world together in war against Israel. And then Jesus returns, Revelation 19, and he defeats Satan, and he binds him for 1,000 years. Jesus sets up a kingdom right here on earth to fulfill all his covenant promises with Israel and all the Old Testament prophecies about the period of restoration. Again, we get to enter into them because those promises were made to Jesus and as belonging to Jesus, we get to enter into those. And at the end of this thousand-year kingdom, Satan will be loosed one more time to spearhead one final war where he'll be defeated and thrown into the lake of fire forever. We read about that. 
Thus the seed of woman, Jesus, crushes the head of Satan in fulfilling Genesis 3.15. Then the great white throne appears in the heavens. And the heaven and the earth are destroyed just at the presence of the greatness of Jesus coming as the judge. And at that judgment, anyone's name who is not written in the book of life will be thrown in the fire, the lake of fire, along with the false prophet, the Antichrist, and Satan. And then we come to the resolution. Paradise restored. We're back to the new normal. When God creates a new heaven and earth, paradise is restored. God dwelling with man as man reigns over his new creation. And there's a perfect shalom and peace with no sin, no Satan, no curse, or no death forever. And I love it. We see the theology of Jesus' reign and throne. He came from heaven down to earth. And um, we saw him on the throne in heaven. Isaiah said he saw Jesus sitting on the throne. He comes down to earth. He ascended back, what, to the right hand of the throne of the Father. We learn in Revelation, he's going to be sitting on the throne in Jerusalem, ruling over all the earth. And then we see in eternity that the Father and the Son together will sit and reign on the throne forever and ever and ever. It's an exciting story. And brothers and sisters, this story is about us. And the good news is, as he tells us in Hebrews, the hope that we have because of the story is like an anchor for our souls. Brothers and sisters, I know that at times our worlds doesn't only seem crazy, it is crazy. But we, because of these promises, people of promise have got a great hope. It's like an anchor for our soul. I'm looking forward to sharing now in more detail in weeks to come as we break this up a little bit more and begin to understand the story of the Bible, the story of what God is doing here on earth. Josh is gonna share a couple opportunities for us to jump into it a little further, and then you'll close this good, bro.